Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 6, 10-18. Turn there with me if you have a Bible or pull it up on a Bible app. Ephesians 6, verses 10-18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, guys, thank you for joining us this morning. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here at Trailhead. Thank you for tuning in. Um, whether you're watching on Facebook or on Vimeo, I would encourage you to go ahead and head over to our other social media sites and make sure that you like our our pages um, on Facebook, on Vimeo, uh, Vimeo, on Instagram, and on Twitter. We're pushing out information and continuing to move forward uh, with a number of initiatives, including trying to regather and, and if you want to stay connected with uh, with what we're doing and, and, and how we're moving forward, we'd love for you to connect on social media. We are in a sermon series uh, that we have entitled Disarmed, and we're looking at the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 and talking about how we have to disarm our armor in order to put on the full armor of God. And today we're going to be talking about shoes, right? And shoes say a lot about a person, right? We even have a phrase, shoe personality, right? Um, shoes speak, right? And you're like, man, my shoes don't say anything about me. Uh, no, they, they actually do. And if you want to know, you can just ask the people around you. Uh, I'm sure they can tell you what your shoes say about you. Let me give you a few examples, right? Like, like these, right? These say, I'm an athlete. They also say, do you want to talk about CrossFit? Because I like to talk about CrossFit. Right? Then there's these. These say, I used to be an athlete. Would you like to hear about my glory days? Well, then there's these. Right? These say, I look good, and I have a superhuman endurance for pain. Then there's these. These say, uh, I have a skateboard in my trunk. And I'm ready at any moment to go session. They might also say, uh, I am totally resisting admitting that I'm no longer a kid. And they may, in fact, be the shoes I am wearing at this very moment. Then there's these. These say, I'm ready to go mow the lawn. All right, so shoes, right? Shoes. Shoes say a lot. Um, and, uh, and they're important in a modern setting, right? It's kind of a, one of the privileges of living in an affluent society. Our shoes do more than just protect our feet. They say something about who we are and, and what we value. But there are no shoes more important than the shoes we're going to talk about today. The shoes that, that are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Let's take a look again at our verses. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 6. Verses 10 through 15. And I want to read these again and, and just kind of set the context for, for why we need the armor and, and the introduction of specifically these pieces. So beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Right? This is the very first and most important command of the passage. Everything else is about how to do this. And we talked about how this means standing strong in your experience of God's love, being rooted and grounded in love and then dipping into the well, the deep well of God's love, in order to have the power to love, right? So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and verse 15 is what we're looking at today, verse 15, and as, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So, shoes. Shoes. We've talked about the belt, right? We've talked about the breastplate. Uh, what, what is so important about shoes, specifically when it comes to the Roman armor. Well, the shoes were incredibly important because they gave the Roman soldier stability um, and traction, right? When, when our command, the central command is like, okay, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And, and then he says like three or four times in a row, stand, 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 stand against your enemy, withstand in the evil day, stand in the full armor of God, right? If you're going to stand, the shoes you're wearing are, are critically important, right? Battlefields in the ancient time were, were incredibly messy, right? They fought on hillsides, they fought out in pastures, they, they fought out in, in nature, and, and they fought in all the elements. And you had to be prepared, right? Because battlefields could be messy, they could be slimy, and they could become really, really treacherous places. And so they had developed a specific kind of sandal. Now this Roman sandal um, was, was designed to give the Roman soldier um, stability and traction, right? It had a thick leather bottom that would protect uh, the feet from walking over rocks or other things like that. And then it was strapped onto the foot with a bunch of leather straps, which would go over the top of the foot, and sometimes it would actually go up the calf. Sometimes there'd be a piece of leather that, leather that would cover the top of the foot and, and the front of the shin. Um, and then on the bottom of, of these sandals, there would be spikes that were, were driven through uh, that, were, that were meant to, to allow you to have traction, right? They were like cleats. If you've ever worn cleats um, to play uh, some sort of outdoor sport, right? They dig in and, and they give you a firm foundation and they give you traction. So, so here's what I want you to catch. The, the, the Roman soldiers' um, sandals had nothing to do with fashion, right? Unlike us, it, it wasn't about uh, making a statement about who you are or anything like that. They were all about function. There was a, a dual purpose behind these, these shoes, right? Stability and mobility. Stability and, and mobility. And, 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 and that, in fact, is reflected... In, in the word readiness in our verse, right? Our verse says that as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the readiness is actually what you're putting on. The gospel of peace is, is what gives it. This word readiness um, speaks to this, this dual function of the shoes, right? The Greek word homotasia has a dual meaning. Right? It can mean stability. In fact, in ancient Greek, it meant stability or firm foundation. Right? And so you would have a, a, a place of stability, uh, a firm foundation uh, when, when maybe everything else wasn't. Right? Uh, in our translation, it's translated readiness because it, it implies a firm foundation with a readiness to move. Right? So you're catching the dual, the dual purpose, right? Stability and traction for mobility. So, so you have a readiness to move because you're standing in a place that you are stable, but you're also prepared to move, and, and it gives you traction for that movement, right? Um, the gospel of peace, then, gives us the readiness that we need, the, both the stability and the mobility. So, so I want you to catch this. What Paul is kind of implying here is that the gospel of peace is what gives us our foundation and it gives us our purpose for moving. Right? It gives us our foundation and it gives us our mission. So it, it enables, enables us to stand firmly, but it also enables us to advance confidently. It enables us to stand without being shaken and to move forward on mission. 
So, for me, now remember, for me to put on the full armor of God, it requires me to disarm the armor of Steve, right? We, we all armor ourselves with our own armor. We have to disarm the ways that we protect ourselves and identify ourselves and, and define our truth and all those things, right? We've already looked at some of that. And we need to put on the full armor of God. So, so here's the question. What, what shoes am I putting on my feet, right? What do I have to take off? in order to put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, right? Well, what do I look to to secure my footing in, in slippery places? Or to move it out of the metaphor, what do I look to to give myself a sense of security, of stability in uncertain times, right? What, what do I look to to give me a sense of security and stability in a place of uncertainty where things are, are unstable, right? And what moves me on mission, right? What, what propels me into action? Not only do what, what do I look to to give me a sense of security, but, but what then actually propels me into action? What makes me a missionary and an evangelist, right? Now, I know those are really, really churchy words, right? But these practices are not limited to a churchy world, Right? They're churchy words, but they're far from, from uh, limited to the churchy world. Everybody is an evangelist. Everybody uh, is going to be a missionary, and everybody is going to stand on some gospel. Right? We all have a gospel that we look to to give us a firm foundation. Right? Remember, the, the gospel, the word gospel means good news. Um, and, and it's a message, it's good news that we think is going to deliver us into the fullness of life. Whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever our gospel is, it's what we're looking to, to fulfill a promise of deliverance into the fullness of life, right? This is what's going to take me there. This is what's going to, to bring me in. It's going to give me stability, and it's going to give me a mission to move into the fullness of life. So whatever it is, whatever your gospel is, uh, it is it is what you look at to to give you stability, and it's what moves you forward with um, the zeal of an evangelist, with a to be a missionary, right? So let's let's move this into to out of the realm of words and into the realm of experience, right? Think about your social media feed. Um, the great majority of you are on Facebook. Some of you have been wise enough to avoid it. Well done. But if you were on social media, if you were on Facebook, you would see this in, in action, right? My social media feed is absolutely filled with people that are standing on a gospel and are evangelists for it, right? Some of the, some of the most prominent gospels today, not surprising since we are right before a national election, which, again, for the presidency, there's, there's really no more important election in uh, in our country, uh, a lot of people are um, standing on on the good news of partisan politics, which you're like, that's not good news at all. I know it's really not. Um, but for a partisan politician, for somebody who has established their good news, their platform, their party, their chosen politician has made promises that they believe are going to deliver them into the fullness of life. Or at least keep them from being delivered into the absolute destitution of life, right? It is the gospel of partisan politics. If I, if I act this way, if I believe these things, if I, and, and then if I become an evangelist and get others to do it with me, we will be able to be delivered into the fullness of life or out of the hell that life will become if we don't elect this perfect person. Right or imperfect person, just better than the other person, whatever. Right, the gospel of partisan politics. Some people are standing on on the gospel of personal health. Right, they're like, oh man, this this world is so confusing, and partisan politics are are draining us. So what you really need are essential oils. Right, you need you need these oils in your life, or you need this specific diet. Right, man, you need to be on keto, or you need to be right. They 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 choose um, uh, an element of of personal health, and 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 then they become evangelists for it, right? Some people are standing on, on um, gospels that are geared towards specific social injustices that need to be addressed. The good news of defeating an injustice, right? The good news that, that this can be defeated and it should be defeated, right? 
And that can be anything. Anything from racism to abortion. Right? Now listen, these aren't bad things. None of these are, are bad things. They're things that become bad when we give them gospel weight in our lives. They're things that become bad when we strap them onto our feet and we look to them to give us the foundation we need and the, the missionary zeal we need, the purpose, so both the, the foundation and the purpose for our lives to move into the fullness of life, right? Um, we're all political to some extent. We all have political leanings one way, the other way. We all have preferences. We all have thoughts, right? Um, but your politics become your gospel. When you start subtly looking to your politics to become your savior, right? When, when you subtly start looking to your politics to deliver you into the fullness of life. And of course, politicians love that. They'll, they'll tell you that all the time. They, they want to stoke your fear and, and stoke your pride. And, and you better vote for me um, because I'm your best option. If you vote for them, everything you love will be destroyed. The entire world will be melted down into the chaos of fire and we'll all be burning, right? Um, politics. We're all political to some extent, right? But, but that doesn't mean politics need to be our gospel, right? We all should be passionate about things that are evil, right? None of us should be neutral to things that are evil like, like racism or, or abortion, right? The fight against evil, while it is good and necessary, can become a horrible gospel. Right? I know people who look at the intersectionality of, of evil, right? And, and I know that's a loaded word, but, but looking at the intersections of, of different social groups coming together and each one having its own power structure and other power structures that abuse or create injustice, right? There are people that are passionate about these intersections of injustice and, and they stand in these intersections of injustice to fight systems of oppression and to fight injustice while they're embodying the same hate they oppose. Right? They feel fully justified in hating the oppressor they see in order to free the oppressed that they value. Right? It's a worthy fight, but it makes a horrible gospel because it makes you part of the oppression. I know people who hate abortion more than they love God. Or people created in the image of God. Listen, these are evil things that we should be passionate about. They are, they are things that are important, but they make horrible gospels. There are countless things countless things that we can strap to our feet that, that will become, uh, that will give us a sense of stability in an unstable world. A sense of purpose and movement, right? This is what allows me to stand firm and this is what allows me to move forward. We must have our feet covered, not with, with secondary important things, not with things that are of, of limited importance. We need to have our feet covered with the shoes that give the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So we have to disarm our armor. We have to disarm our armor. We have to, we have to take the greed, the fear, the anxiety, the self-righteousness that, that, would, that would seem to give us a false foundation and a sense of righteously moving forward. We need to take those off our feet in order to put on the gospel of peace. Now the Greek word for peace, irene, um, has a root word which means that which is bound together. Right? So peace. Having, having put on the gospel of peace. Having put on that which is bound together. It speaks of harmony. It speaks of tranquility. It speaks of a lack of conflict. But it doesn't imply or require sameness. You can have two very different things bound together in peace if what pulls them together is greater than what would drive them apart. Remember, gospel. The word gospel means good news, right? The Greek word euangelion uh, means the proclamation of good news that is the result of a victory, right? So an euangelion was the message of, of, of victory. You would send your battle, your, your army off to war, and 
um, and you would wait, right? And, and then the messenger would come back with the message of Evangelion, the victory, the good news. So it's good news, but it's more than just generic good news. It's good news of victory. It's good news of deliverance. It's the good news of, of salvation, right? And, and so this word is loaded with this meaning of deliverance, right? Now, when Paul said, put on your feet, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, I have no doubt that he had Isaiah 52 in mind. In fact, I think he had Isaiah in mind through much of this passage because Isaiah talks about actually putting on armor um, as well. Um, but in Isaiah 52, he says this. This is verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings Evangelion, good news, the message of victory that publishes peace, that, that, that brings good news of happiness, that publishes deliverance, salvation, and declares to God's people, your God Reigns. Give you a context for Isaiah 52. Isaiah is actually talking about the Israelites in the season of captivity when they were actually in captivity in Babylon. So the Israelites had been conquered in the land of Israel, Israel, and, and, and they had been forcefully relocated to, to Babylon, and they were living in Babylon under captivity. And, uh, and, and Isaiah draws this really, really graphic image of, of feet running to somebody that is trapped in exile, to bring the good news of victory, to bring the good news of peace, to bring the good news of, of liberation. So imagine for a moment that you're living in this place of exile, right? Because I want you to catch just the, the power behind these poetic words. Imagine for a moment that you are living in this, this place of exile, right? This place of of where, where you, you've been taken away from your place of security. You've been taken away from, from your sense of belonging. You, you are in a place where um, you are exposed uh, to injustice and you are vulnerable to suffering. Right? A modern context, if you can't picture Babylonian captivity, um, uh, some of you see on news the, the Syrian camps um, where those that are the ethnic minorities have been relocated into these, these tent camps in Syria where the living conditions are horrendous and, and families are exposed to violence and suffering and hardship. Right? Imagine being in a place like that where you, because of a civil war, you have been forcefully relocated. You are out of your place of security and everything you love is now exposed. Ex imagine yourself in an ice camp, right? That you, you are an immigrant who was picked up and, and, and you're in this place where your children have been removed from you and, and, and you're in a place where you can't predict what's going to happen nor can you protect those that you love. And while you're in that place of loneliness and vulnerability, imagine that in the still of the night, because you can't sleep, you hear feet running towards you. Right? You hear the feet approaching and you hear them yelling something as they sprint towards you. And then, and then you not only hear the voice in a distance, but you start making out that, that they are, it is a rising call of the Evangelion. It is the rising call. Good news! Good news! I bring good news! Peace! Deliverance! You're being taken out of here. You're being brought out of your place of vulnerability. You're being brought out of your place of suffering. You are being brought out of, of, of your weakness into a place of strength because our God reigns. You are saved. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet that bring good news of peace. Contextually. So in, in our passage in, in Ephesians 6, um, Paul's not talking about Israel's temporary deliverance from Babylonian captivity. Of course, he's referencing Isaiah 52, which, which is talking about that. But, but in, in Ephesians 6, he's talking about mankind's permanent deliverance from sin's captivity through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
Right? He's not talking about a temporary deliverance from, from a political captivity. He's talking about an eternal deliverance um, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right? We, we have, as, as God's people, post-incarnation, um, post-Jesus coming to the earth and, and living the life we should have lived and dying the death we deserve to die and then rising again, we have the good news that is the best news of all good news. This is the better news that, than any news that has ever been proclaimed, and it's the best news that ever could be proclaimed, that God has won us peace. That God has done for us what we could not do, that God stepped in to our mess to deliver us from it, because He had Jesus step into our brokenness, live the life we should have lived, but then die the death we should have died. He became our substitute. Right? We are given peace because He took our justice. He took what we deserved in our guilt. He took the, the consequences of our cosmic rebellion and died the death we deserved to die and paid the price we could never pay so that when He rose again, we could receive a blessing we could never earn. God won our peace by paying our price. And we can have this peace with God because of Jesus. Because He loved us that much. Right? That, that He gave up that much. That He suffered that much. Right? The, the, the feet of the good news, man, the, the, the message that's coming to us isn't simply a temporary deliverance from a short-term consequence. It is an eternal deliverance from an eternal weight of sin. It is the message that God loved us so much He paid the price so that we could be covered in the very righteousness of Christ and be made new. That we could be forgiven and invited into this new humanity that God is creating, not in the likeness of Adam, our first father, but in the Adam of Jesus, excuse me, in the, in the, in the image of Jesus, the last Adam, uh, the one who, who is recreating humanity so that we can once again be what we were created to be. This is the best news ever shared. That God loved us and paid the price to draw us near. And we simply receive it, not by being worthy of it, not by earning it, not by being from the right lineage, not by, by joining the right religion, but by simply receiving grace, undeserved favor and love from a God who extends it to us. And we simply trust the God who loved us this much. And we receive this grace by faith. It's the best news ever. I remember the feet of the man who, who helped bring that message into my life when I was 17 years old and um, a freshman in college. I was 17 and a freshman. He was a 59-year-old freshman. That's a whole other story. But I remember um, the first time I saw him, right? I was sitting in, in a cafeteria and, and I, was, I was a mess. At 17, I was a mess, man. I, I was in an environment that made me feel uneasy, which made, made me aggressive. I was, I was not making a lot of friends. Um, I wasn't the, the jovial, happy. I was, I was just broken and hurt and acting out. And this guy walks in and, and he's wearing a bow tie and a suit jacket and, 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 uh, he, he has this perpetually kind of surprised look in his eyes, which I love. Uh, he has this shock of white hair. He, he reminded me totally of Orville Redenbacher. And he walks into the room and he walks across the cafeteria. And of all the places he sat, for whatever reason, he decides to sit at my table. And no matter what I do during that meal to try to offend him, um, I can't. Like, like he just won't be offended. And, and finally, when I, in my 17-year-old maturity, burped at him, um, well, not really, but I took a big swig of my Coke and, and it just happened and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be worried about whether or not he was offended. He just looked at me and he's like, son, you did that wrong. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you need to use your diaphragm. And he, and he perps so loud that everybody on the surrounding tables look at us, right? So you're like, what does this have to do with the gospel? Everything. Everything. This guy met me where I was and loved me as I was. And, and, and then through a friendship that developed, I started learning more about what he valued and who he was. And, and that opened the door, man. That opened the door. I didn't trust Christians. 
I didn't trust Christianity. I had seen too many abuses. Even in, in, in my short 17 years, I saw so much hypocrisy in the church. I just wasn't. But this guy embodied it in a way that made me really curious. And so one night I asked him, what's your favorite book of the Bible? He said, the book of Hebrews. So I started that night. I sat down and I read through the book of Hebrews. I don't know how long it took me um, because I lost track of time. I do know that it was somewhere in the early morning hours when I finished it. And I know this. I didn't finish it the same way I started it. Like, I finished that book, and I knew that no matter what was wrong with the church, no matter how many problems there were with Christianity in, in, in its social circles and in its people, there was something very, very true and beautiful about Jesus. That he was better. That night, I, I realized I wasn't getting away from this, and it changed the absolute course of my life. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. I cherish my memory of Tom Dean to this day. He died the next year because he had a, a brain tumor. So I had a very short relationship with Tom. But I cherish that memory. And I cherish him because his feet were the beautiful messengers that brought me the message of Evangelion. He shared the love of Christ with me. Um, and, and because of that, it opened me up to receiving the beautiful message of the gospel. So he didn't save me, but it was his feet that brought the message to me. And after he had done that for me, I understood the importance of doing that for others. And I wasn't really good at it. In fact, I'm not sure any of us are really all that great at it unless you've got some supernatural gift. I mean, I did all kinds of weird stuff. I, you know, I, I wasn't, I literally, I wasn't a, you know, whatever opportunity I had. I, you know, it's a homeless shelter. I'll go hang out and, and just talk to people. Oh, yeah, there's a big festival downtown. Okay, let's all go down and mime. Literally, I'm in the middle of a drunken festival in Dubuque, Iowa, and I'm miming the gospel as like a 17 or 18 year old. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? But I just, I knew the power of the message. And I, I had to share it. And, uh, and I wasn't incredibly great at it to begin with. And sometimes I'm still not incredibly great at it. But the message is too good not to share. Like, I'm not going to let my awkwardness keep me from sharing this incredibly good news. You know what I'm saying? Like, like how foolish would I be to, to hold back this incredible treasure because I think I'm awkward in delivering it, right? I'm not the point. The message is, right? And, and I have had those incredible moments of being able to share this message with others when I've seen their eyes open. And I've seen their countenance drop because they now understand something I've understood. They're now seeing a love that I've, that they've never seen before. And it undoes them in beautiful ways. Listen, I've, I've, I've stumbled my way through this and, and for every hundred awkward opportunities I have to share the gospel, only a couple uh, what I look back at fondly and say, man, that was, a, that was a real success, but I can't let the awkwardness of the message or the messenger cloud the, the beauty of, of the message, right? The messenger is not the point. The message is, and it's my job to be a messenger, right? Who did that for you? Who did that for you? Who, whose feet brought you this incredibly beautiful message of the gospel? Who have you done that for? Who, who are you pursuing right now with this incredible message of the gospel? Right? The messenger runs to the one who needs the message. The messenger pursues the one who needs the message of deliverance. They don't sit back and wait for them to come. They don't, they don't go passive over there in the battlefield where the victory is and say, well, I, I guess those people over in the next valley will, will come and visit if they want to find out. No! The messenger runs to deliver the message that Evangelion is, is too valuable to hold back. You need to share the joy. Who are you pursuing? Who has God opened the door for you to share this incredible message with? And do you trust the message? more than you fear the awkwardness of being the messenger. Because it's the message that carries the power, not the messenger. 
The messenger simply delivers the message, the evangelion, the good news, and the good news carries its own power. Listen, that message of peace, it's our foundation. Right? In, in a world going crazy, in an election year, when everything is being, is chaotic and, and it is the gospel that gives us our firm foundation and allows us to stand. Right? Because the schemes of the enemy want you to get to, get you to stand on any other gospel than this one. The political gospel, the social justice gospel, the, the, the personal health gospel, the greed gospel, the, right? Everything he can do to get you off. No, we need to stay centered on the gospel of grace. That this is the good news that, that delivers me into God's redeeming and restoring work. This is my hope for myself, my future. And it is what gives me traction to move forward. Right? It is what gives me hope to move forward. It is, it is the power of this message that gives me my foundation. And it is the invitation of this message that allows me to move forward in the hope that others can also receive the benefit I've shared, that I can become an evangelist of my joy, that I can share what gives me life. It is my foundation. And it is my purpose. There's nothing else in this world that is worthy of being your foundation and your purpose. Not building your career, not getting a reputation, not sustaining a certain amount of wealth, uh, not being loved by people, uh, not being popular, having a plot. There is no other foundation that will actually deliver you into the fullness of life than the actual gospel of peace. That you have peace with God because of the sacrificial work of Christ, because of His death and resurrection, and because you have peace with God, you can move forward in confidence to share that peace with others. Because you are loved, you can love, right? This is, this is that first command. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Be rooted and grounded in the love of God. Rooted and grounded in your awareness of and your experience of God's love. And in the strength of His might dipping into the deep well of, of the love of God, pulling out all the strength we need to love others with the love we've received. It is our foundation, and it is our purpose. But here's the thing, y'all. This isn't just the good news that, 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 about God's plan to take me to heaven. It is the good news of how God plans to reestablish heaven on earth. The gospel is God's plan to redeem and restore me personally, but it is also God's plan to redeem and restore all of creation. To free us from the guilt of our sin and to free us into the purpose of our creation so that we can image God once again as stewards of creation, which what that means currently is, is to, to be rooted and grounded in his love and, and strengthened in the strength of his might to love others. Right? That means we need to wear the readiness of the gospel of peace. And that's going to require us to not just be concerned about the salvation of souls. Now, hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't be, and in fact, primarily concerned about the salvation of souls. We, we should be evangelists. We should be sharing the hope that is within us. But we should not only be concerned about the salvation of souls. We should also be concerned about the deliverance of their bodies. Right? The bodies that house those souls from injustice and suffering and abuse. Now I know I'm making some of you nervous here. And I know that there's a, uh, a lot of pushback in certain circles against the, the social justice gospel. So I want to be clear about what I'm saying here. I believe there are two errors that we can fall into when it comes to shotting our feet with the, the, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Two errors we can fall into. First of all, seeing the gospel as only being concerned with being good news to the human soul. The only concern of the gospel is to, to tell people how to get to heaven. That's, that's its only concern. That's one error. The other is to see the gospel as only concerned with being good news to human culture. 
to addressing situations of social injustice and, and trying to fix this broken world. Those are, those are two errors that we can fall into. And as American Christians, we need to understand a little bit of our history when it comes to this tension that, that creates problems for us, right? We've become suspicious of any application of the gospel that is not primarily personal. In the evangelical Christian world, we have become suspicious of any application of the gospel that is not primarily personal. And that comes from, from a unique experience in human history, or excuse me, American history, where American evangelicalism had to make some choices. And they made some choices that, that created a justification, that, that created a, a thread of thought that is still present today. And that thread of thought is that the gospel is only concerned with bringing liberation to the human soul and not to the human body. See, Christian slave owners had to have a way to justify uh, their slavery, of, of their chattel slavery, of owning human beings outright and not giving them any of the dignity of actual human freedom. And so slave owners were under tremendous pressure um, because they were Christians, Right? Christianity in the South was, was huge. They were, they were part of this evangelical movement in America. And, and so evangelists put pressure on them to evangelize their slaves. Right? They were like, this is God, God has, you know, you have people brought here that never heard of Christianity. It is our obligation to share with them the good news of Christianity. So they came to an agreement. You can evangelize my slaves as long as you only talk about the liberation of the soul and not the body. As long as the gospel is exclusively about personal salvation and forgiveness, but not about personal liberation. This would allow the slave owners to enjoy both the benefits of an unjust system and the benefits of being seen as good Christians in it. And we still hear echoes of this line of argument today. When, when I start talking about the application of the gospel into areas of social concern, I almost always will hear a little bit of feedback that echoes this line of thought, right? Um, of, of, you know, when we talk about unjust economic systems or imbalanced judicial systems or, or racial inequalities, I'll hear someone say, you know, Steve, why don't you just stay in your lane? Right? You should just stick to preaching the gospel. And what they mean by that is that you should be only concerned with the salvation of individual souls. That's your job. Your job is to preach the gospel, and the gospel is only concerned with the personal salvation of individuals within our culture, not with the culture that we create together. Right? And so what they mean is that putting on the readiness of the gospel of peace is only and exclusively concerned with the salvation of souls. And any application beyond that to the systems that those souls create together, systems that affect the bodies that house the souls, um, is, is stepping outside of the lines, right? We're not to address the conditions that affect the bodies in which those souls reside. This is a complete distortion of the gospel, you know? This either-or structure of, of personal versus social. It's either a personal gospel or it's a social justice gospel. Reflects a truncated gospel, a misunderstanding of the gospel. Because the gospel is absolutely, deeply, and profoundly personal. It is a unique invitation to every individual person to come back into relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might personally be saved, that they might be covered in the righteousness of Christ by a gift of grace through the redeeming and restoring work of Jesus. It is deeply and profoundly personal, but it is also powerfully and necessarily social. At the beginning of Isaiah's book of prophecy, we looked at Isaiah as the backdrop to the gospel, the, the, sh the shoes that are the the gospel of peace, right? At the beginning of Isaiah's book of prophecy, he sets the stage for his hearers and he actually challenges his, his hearers and he tells them that they can't just take the benefits 
of being God's elect people, the benefits of, of grace, without also sharing those benefits with others. That they can't just get the personal benefit of covenant relationship with God without living out the covenant realities of that grace within the social systems in which they reside. They can't claim personal peace and ignore the necessary call to justice. Let me show you these verses. This is from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Now this isn't Isaiah speaking. This is God speaking through Isaiah to the Israelites, God's covenant people. When you spread out your hands, even though you make many prayers, right? So he's talking about hands being spread in prayer, right? So, so in the act of worship, I will not listen. Why? Because your hands are full of blood. Talk about a graphic image. The hands that they are lifting up in prayer to God are covered in blood. Now look where this goes. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Now notice how he defines this because he defines what it means to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. There is a natural application of grace to the social structures that surround redeemed individuals. We are to be redeemed and restored. We are to embrace grace. We are to understand our personal need for salvation. To receive the love of God. But we are also to recognize that the shoes that cover our feet aren't just for us. We are to move forward in Evangelion, in, in the announcement of victory, in the power of God's love to address the evil structures that our sin has created around us. Did you catch what Isaiah was saying? The gospel of peace isn't just about souls. It's about the bodies in which those souls reside. Take up the case of the fatherless. Right? There's a soul inside that body that needs a covenant relationship with God, but that body needs you to advocate for them because they are on the margins of, of the culture and, and they are vulnerable to abuse and oppression. Take up the case of the widow. Those who don't have a legal voice, use your legal voice on their behalf. It is good news for the widow and, and for the fatherless, for those that are oppressed, for those that lack justice. It is good news for them spiritually, but it is also good news for them practically. In the New Testament, James echoes this call in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, where James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed or lacking in daily food, notice how practical, right? The body, the needs of the body. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled. Right? Here's a spiritual solution to your physical problem. Why don't you just, just receive the spiritual message and I'm going to ignore your physical need. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Y'all, the gospel is profoundly personal. And it is practically social. Because the good news of the gospel is love. Love that we are to receive personally and love we are to extend. If your child were in a setting where they were being treated unfairly, where they were being oppressed, where they were being abused. Would you just say to your child, I love you and God loves you? And then leave it at that, right? And just ignore the injustice under which they were suffering and just say to them, you know, God will sort it out. You don't need to, you don't need to worry about this person who's abusing you, right? No, no, you would not. You know what you would say? You would say, I love you and God loves you. And because I love you. I will fight with you. And I will fight for you. 
for justice, for equity, for dignity. Listen, if we are going to put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, if we're going to wear those shoes, we need to stand on God's good news of grace. We need to move forward in that good news. We need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God and then drawing from the deep well of the power that comes from God's love that we might engage others with love, taking advantage of every opportunity to share that love in both word and deed, concerned for both the souls and the bodies that surround us. All right, let me close us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough that you were the feet that brought good news. That you left heaven and you ran all the way to earth. And in order for this message to be received, you paid the price for us to receive it. You died. And you rose again. To deliver our souls from the guilt and the shame and the weight of our sin, but to do more than that, to redeem our humanity. That we might, as embodied beings, live out the principles of love in an embodied way. Not simply speaking in general spiritual terms, but moving out, just like you move toward us, toward others. To see them delivered and loved. Lord, open our eyes to the opportunities we have around us to share the message of the gospel with those who need to hear it, that God loves them, that that you sent Jesus to die for them and rise again for them, but also make us keenly aware of the opportunities we have around us to wear the gospel on our feet and to move into areas of injustice that we might speak for those who can't speak for themselves, that we can, we can be a friend to the fatherless and to the widow, that we can step in to the realms in which they are people being oppressed where they are lacking justice and they can receive care for their body and not just good news for their soul. Lord, we long for the day. We long for the day when Jesus returns and sets all this right. We long for the day when the kingdom of God is established on earth as it is in heaven. But until that day, let us be bold. Empower us, Spirit, that we might be good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, ambassadors of the gospel into this lost and broken world to share the love of God. Work through us even as you work in us. We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of our King Jesus. Amen.